The scripture reading for today is 1 John 2, 3 through 8. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one, one you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment, to love one another, is the same message you heard before. Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Mike Stroh. I'm the other Pastor Mike here. And you can be turning in your Bible if you have one with you to 1 John chapter 2 in the passage we just heard read. Thank you, Juanita, for reading that text for us this morning and music team for guiding us into worship. But as we turn to God's word and as the kids are dismissed to their class, let's bow for prayer. Well, fathers, we just sang the words that we were made to worship you. I pray that that reality would would be experienced by each of us as we turn our attention now to your word, as we continue in worship throughout the rest of our service, that we would step more fully into our created purpose to glorify you. And so unite our hearts in these next few moments around this beautiful text from Scripture for our transformation and the transformation of the lives around us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, it was June of 1994, a 13-year-old boy from San Antonio named Nicholas Barclay went missing. He disappeared without a trace. Until three years later, when a teenage boy claiming to be Nicholas Barclay uh, turned up in Spain. He had an elaborate story, a horrific story of all that he had suffered and endured over the last three years apart from his family across the world, and incredibly, publicly, famously, he was uh, reunited with his family. It was incredible. The story was highly publicized. Uh, He was interviewed by the media. It seemed it was an incredibly happy ending to what would have otherwise been a tragic story. Happy ending. The only problem was he wasn't Nicholas Barclay. He wasn't even a teenager. He wasn't even American. He was a French man in his mid-twenties that somehow had successfully, almost successfully, impersonated a teenage boy from Texas. This story is so unbelievable. It's told in an award-winning documentary called The Imposter. You may have seen it some years ago. The man's name is Frederick Bourdine. He's been called the chameleon. He 
claims to have assumed over 500 false identities. Now, what's so unbelievable to me, not only that someone would even attempt something like this, but that it almost worked. He had Nicholas Barclay's sister, his mother, much of his own family convinced it was him. Those who knew Nicholas best were deceived. It wasn't until the authorities finally put the strange puzzle pieces together, they compared photographs, and finally a DNA test said, for sure, this is not Nicholas Barclay. This is an imposter. The Apostle John wrote to a first century church that had some imposters. Not so much within the church, but those that had formerly been part of the church and had gone out from them, John says, and still were trying to influence the church. They had gone away from the faith, they claiming to know God, but it turned out they were imposters. They tried to look the part, and they had some fooled, and so John in our text this morning lays out a test of authenticity to distinguish a genuine follower of Christ from an imposter. And as we just heard read in our scripture, that test of authenticity is obedience. We continue our series through John's epistles we're calling Love Without Fear. We've seen that believers are called into fellowship with God in the light because of this constant reality of forgiveness and mercy that we have in Christ. We are enabled to walk in the light as he is in the light. John continues his imagery of light and dark in our text this morning to show how an authentic follower of Christ lives and how they love. Anyone, who, anyone can claim to know God, but John shows us who's telling the truth when that claim is made. Specifically, John invites his first century readers, and he invites us this morning into an authentic living out of this radical love for others that Jesus commanded. And so take a look, if you have it in front of you, 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 3, and this text is also on our online bulletin page, 1 John 2, starting in verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. These are strong words from the Apostle John, and he repeats himself uh, to drive the point home. And that's really something to notice if you haven't already, but as we continue to move through 1 John, you'll notice his style is a bit repetitive. It's not quite like a linear point A to B to C like we see from the Apostle Paul. His style is more cyclical. So he'll keep coming back to the same themes and the same truths again and again, but he'll often add, when he comes back to it, he'll add a new angle for us to consider because he wants us to meditate on this truth. He wants us to really chew on this truth that invites us deeper and deeper into it. We don't know exactly who these imposters were. We don't even know exactly what sect they were, what exactly uh, they believed. So we have to sort of try to figure it out backwards by uh, looking at some of his statements where John says, whoever says this, whoever says that, we can infer that he's talking about these imposters. For one thing, it seems these imposters were saying that 
they knew God and yet they didn't live lives of obedience or even taught that it wasn't necessary to obey God's commands. But John says, again, those who really know him will keep his commandments. To know him, John says here. To know is the first of 23 times in 1 John where he uses this word. And many more times if you count synonyms. Knowing God here to John, which is clearly such an important theme for him, knowing God is not knowing about God. It certainly includes that. It's a relational knowing. It's knowing him personally. It's having a relationship with God. That's what John means by to know God. And John pulls this truth right from the words of Jesus. In John 14, Jesus taught the same thing when he said, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So obedience, according to Jesus, according to John, is a primary test of authenticity for a Christ follower. Let's remind ourselves of a couple things that we've seen along the way here in 1 John. He's not talking about sinless perfection. Just a few verses up, we saw last week, part of walking in the light, as he is in the light, is being honest about the sin that even as believers we continue to wrestle with, we continue to have in our hearts. But the believer distinctly has a heart posture of aiming to walk in the light, seeking to do what Jesus has commanded us to do. As verse 6 says, walk in the same way Jesus walked. We also need to remind ourselves continually that he's not saying we become believers through our obedience. We are forgiven, again, as he's already clearly laid out, we are forgiven by the blood of Christ shed on the cross. And so if you're here this morning and you're not sure what it means to follow Jesus, you haven't come to him by faith, that's the invitation for you is to accept the free gift of salvation by grace through faith. It's his work, it's not your work. But as believers, this inward reality that takes place by His grace alone is lived out outwardly. It's demonstrated by outward action. John Stott writes that the proof of love is loyalty. This abiding language in verse 6, you may recognize it. Again, comes right from the words of Jesus. John 15, the parable of the vine and the branches. Jesus tells us there that when we abide in Him, we will bear fruit. So our obedience and our service are in his strength, his life in us. This is to my Father's glory, Jesus says in John 15, 8, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. See, This is where John gets this, this truth. And John's saying the same thing. We show ourselves to be genuine disciples. We show ourselves to know God personally, that his life is in fact in us by keeping his commandments. Well, that begs the question, which commandments? What does John have in mind specifically? Look at verse 7. John calls them beloved, or your translation might say dear friends, or something like that. This is an affectionate term that John uses throughout the letter, and this is really the tone of the letter. It's not a tone of, of judgment, pointing the finger. The tone of 1 John is a spiritual father holding our hands and saying, dear children, beloved, and guiding us deeper into the truth of the love of Christ. Look at verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. 
the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so which commandment does John have in mind? He zeroes in pretty clearly here on the mark of the genuine disciple being loving one another, loving your neighbor. Once again, is John making this up? Where is he getting this? John 13, what does Jesus say? A new commandment. Does that sound familiar? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Jesus says by this, by following this command, he just told us, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. Elsewhere, Jesus teaches us that loving God and others sums up the entire law. Paul teaches in Romans 13 that all the commands are summed up in one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And later in 1 John, we'll see in chapter 4 that John says, anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so in that way, loving your neighbor, in a way, contains even the command to love God because you can't do one without the other. You can't truly do one without the other. We could go on and on making this point from Scripture, but hopefully we get the picture. It's really hard to overemphasize love in the Christian life. We tend to overemphasize lots of things or get out of balance at times, but it's really hard to overemphasize love if we take Jesus, if we take John, if we take Paul, the rest of the writers of Scripture at their word. It's hard to overemphasize love. So, of course, the objection, well, talking too much about love, then you're overlooking sin, you're not confronting evil, but true love shares the truth. And so by love here... Let's make sure we understand. We don't mean just a feel-good kind of world's idea of love. Can't we all just get along kind of love? That's not true love. Remember the whole point here, the whole context here in the passage is obedience to God's Word. But true love is hard. It's easy for us to say, well, you're focusing too much on love. Why? Because our hearts fight against it. Love is the harder way. True love is giving of ourselves for the sake of another. True love is listening rather than forcing our agenda on someone. True love is costly. It is sacrificial. It is forgiving others as God in Christ has forgiven us. That is radical. Most of us aren't too far on the side of the love spectrum. Love is laying down our own way for the good of another. So if we're human, I think most of us here are, we need to show more love, not less. That's our tendency. There's a lot in Scripture that we are called to obey, to follow Jesus, but John points us here to love, just as Jesus did for a good reason. 
Jesus said it's love for our neighbor that shows the world who his disciples are. There were imposters in the first century church that were claiming you can know God without really loving your neighbor. There are imposters in the church in every age, outside the church, even within the church, who make the same claim, if not in words, then by their actions. Saying, no, 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 this is what we should really care about and be passionate about. This is the agenda that real Christians should be fighting for and yet not loving. John says to us, beloved, keep the main thing the main thing. That's a paraphrase, by the way. Love one another. He says this command is both old and new. It's old because it's consistent with all Scripture. If Moses would have heard Jesus here or John here, he would have said, yes, amen. That's what I was saying, in the, that's what God said in the whole law. All the law and the prophets hang on this command. But John also says it's new, just as Jesus said, I give you a new commandment. How is it new? It's new because in Jesus' coming, he ushered in a whole new era. He brought in his kingdom where love is now the reigning thing. Love is breaking in in a whole new way. In the new covenant, we now have the life of Christ in us. We now have the Spirit of God in us, enabling us to obey. So that love might be shared with others. In verse 8, he says, It's a new command because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Jesus brought his kingdom and we're still waiting for it to come in fullness, but we are already citizens of it. We're already enabled to live in this kingdom, in the values of this kingdom, which are radical. The light Jesus brought at his incarnation is the light we walk in when we love our neighbor. Well, St. Jerome, the 4th century theologian, tells a story of the Apostle John that evidently was passed down, that when John became very old, he was in Ephesus, he could no longer walk, and so his disciples would carry him with great difficulty. They would carry him each Sunday to the assembly for worship. And speaking had become difficult for John. And so every Sunday, the, the congregation would quiet and they would listen to the Apostle John. And he would say one thing. He would say, little children, love one another. Each Sunday, with great difficulty, he would be carried into worship to the assembly, and they would listen to wise, old Apostle John, little children love one another. Now, we don't know if that story is true, but it sounds like John. It sounds like the way that he wrote, the same language, it's a little repetitive, kind of like his letter. But I want to be like John when I grow up. How about you? We could do worse in our old age than being like that. Love one another. This is the authentic mark of the disciple. It's fitting on Sanctity of Life Sunday that we land on a text about loving our neighbor. We're to show Christ's love to everyone because Jesus commanded it. Every life reflects the image of God. We talk about the sanctity of life. That comes from God himself. They're not just the people we like. Not just the people that choose to reflect God's image, but every human life. D.A. Carson said that any pagan can love those who are like them, 
It takes a Christian to love the unlovely. And to that we might add the forgotten, the marginalized, the vulnerable, the unborn, the addict, the prisoner, the Democrat, the Republican. This text is an invitation for believers to once again refocus on what's most important. To anchor ourselves in the love of Christ. That that's what we're to be mainly about. And to remember that our loyalty to Christ is shown most in our love. So I hesitate to list a bunch of takeaway applications for us this week for such a foundational command. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would speak to each of us where we are and speak to us corporately as a body. But I encourage you to meditate on these verses. Memorize these verses if you're so led. Today or later this week, examine your own heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you how you in your sphere of influence in your relationships, with your finances, with your gifts and abilities, can better reflect the love of Christ. Maybe a relationship comes to mind that's been severed. Maybe there's a neighbor across the street that you have yet to introduce yourself to. Maybe there's a place like Thrive or another place where you can serve or give to help more people experience Jesus' love. But an application not to take from this text is one of self-judgment. To be reminded of all of our failures to love perfectly, like we all do, and think, wait a minute, maybe I'm not authentic. Maybe I'm not really a follower of Jesus because I fail to reflect his love. Remember, we don't earn our place. We don't keep our place by our performance. None of us perfectly love. Remember, John is not writing to the imposters. He's writing to the church. He's writing to those of us today who know Jesus Christ, those who are secure in Christ, calling them to focus on an authentic expression of their faith. Look back at our text one more time, in verse, starting in verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Notice these words. Notice what he's saying. They're forgiven. They know God. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. These are past tense. These are done deal. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, Young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Some repetition here. It's easy for us to maybe get caught up in trying to dissect all the titles that he gives us. Why fathers, why children, why young men. This is a poetic expression here of our security in Christ. He's saying, speaking to the church, You know God in Christ, he's saying. You are in the light already. We have the life of Christ in us, so we have all we need to obey these commands. The command. Well, Frederick Bourdain repeatedly chose to be an imposter, claiming again 500 times. To pretend to be someone else was his ambition. 
Why? He shares uh, in the documentary and elsewhere that he was so desperate for belonging. Frederick did not know love in his family growing up. And so he was willing to go to such extraordinary efforts to take such extraordinary risks for love. Just to be someone else who might be in a family that would show him love, but he never experienced So desperate was he for love and belonging to be someone else that he was willing to settle for a false love. Love from people that didn't even know who he truly was. A counterfeit love. I hope you heard the words of the song we sang before the sermon today. I am who you say I am. And John tells us the same thing, that in Jesus Christ we are secure in him. We are in the family. Our place is secure in the love of Christ, so we don't have to work to manufacture our place there. We don't have to work to try to pretend we're someone we're not, to try to put on a spiritual facade like we have everything together. Jesus knows us by name. He knows who we truly are, and he's brought us into fellowship with God. And it's out of that security, it's out of that love that's being poured into us continually that we are free to share that love, that we are equipped like no one else in the world, to live out this kind of love, to walk as he walked, to love as he loves. Little children love one another. Let's pray. Well, Father, this beautiful text is familiar. It's nothing we haven't heard before. And yet it's the truth we need to keep coming back to, the centrality of your love, your love for us and your love in us, your love through us. Father, drive this truth deeper into each of our hearts and us as a body that we might live this out. Help us to take John at his invitation to enter more deeply into the love of Christ, to receive that love more deeply, to love those around us in a way, in a radical way, that points people to you. And so, transform us by your Spirit. Continue your work in us. We ask that you would use us, that lives in our community would be transformed by the love that you want to show through us. And it's in the name of Jesus and for his glory we pray. Amen.